Well, before we uh, jump into the teaching, just want to give you a brief update. Some of you know that uh, Doug had heart surgery on Friday, an ablation, which is uh, fairly common for a heart surgery, fairly common surgery. And everything went well, everything went as expected, so we're very encouraged about that. Uh, it was just a, a two-hour procedure. He, he woke up uh, about a little after lunchtime on Friday, and uh, Mayor was with him, and uh, he's doing great. So he got discharged yesterday. Uh, he's home, and he said, I think I'll slip in this morning. And I said, no, you won't. You had heart surgery. Stay home. So they, he is at home resting and doing well, and uh, we had plenty of opportunities to laugh at the hospital together, so he's in good spirits and doing well. So I just wanted to update you all on that, uh, that he's doing well. Secondly, I just want to say how proud I am and how excited I am for the new house church formations that are happening. Last Sunday, I had an opportunity to be with the newly formed Schwanksville House Church church. Uh, more than a dozen people gathered together, uh, which was great uh, at uh, Chris and Leah Ryder's house. And so they're off to a great start, which is great. At the same time, uh, the Southerton uh, Telford House Churches met here uh, and had a chance to pray and plot goodness uh, in the name of Jesus, which is great. And so that gives me great joy to see that. Uh, it excites me to no end to see what God is doing and doing new things and that we as a church are willing to explore some of those new things, even if they might be different uh, and require sacrifice. So we say that sending capacity is more important than seating capacity, and that's really important because if it's about seating capacity, it's about the leader or the leaders that's up front. But if it's about sending capacity, then it's about the mission uh, involved in the process, and uh, that's what we want to join in on. So I'm very proud of you all, and I wanted to mention that. So... For God so loved the world that he gave. Let that sink in. God so loved the world that he gave. So we've been in this series on money and possessions and really bigger than that of how do we live generously. So how do we do that? We actually model what God himself did to change the course of human history and and change our lives. He gave. In the first week of this series, we talked about the idea of uh, pipes and buckets, right? And and I exhausted my knowledge, my plumbing knowledge, right? What goes into a bucket stays in a bucket. What goes into a pipe goes out of a pipe, right? And and if there are things that go into a bucket that leave a bucket, it's not really being a bucket, is it? It's, It's a bucket with a hole in it, right? It's becoming like a pipe. And if things aren't getting through a pipe, it's getting lodged in there. It's acting much more like a bucket than it is a pipe. And you and I, because God himself acted like a pipe, what was given, uh, he, he, what he gave out of himself. For God to love the world, he gave. But then he says, you go do it. What I've given to you, now you turn around and give it away. Be a pipe as well. Doug taught uh, earlier in the series about how we handle our wallets actually reveals a great deal about our souls. And in the last gathering, Dwayne talked about the widow who gave two copper coins. And she put in much fewer coins uh, than what others put in, yet she put in way more heart and faith than all the others combined. And I loved Dwayne's definition of generosity, which was actually through Ange. A tangible statement of looking back with thankfulness and looking forward with trust. That's a great definition. Looking back with thankfulness and looking forward with trust. And Dwayne asked this great question, how are we at excelling in the grace of giving? 
And that's, that question's been sitting with me the last few weeks. How are we excelling in the grace of giving? So we're going to look at a story this morning uh, that has messed with me this week. In fact, it's messed with me the last few years. And I'm hoping that it will mess with you all. Because it's good to be messed with. Scripture uh, has a way of wrestling with us and sometimes wrestling us to the ground. And that's a good thing. And so uh, I hope that messes uh, with us a bit this morning. You know, when we hear the word repentance, we often uh, think, you know, what, what, what does that really mean? Well, repentance literally means, in the original language, to pull a U-turn. To pull a U-turn. To move in a different direction than how we were previously traveling. And I think about that time, and if you've ever done this before, you've only, you only do it once, right? And it's where you're traveling, you know, go through the, the Lansdale uh, Turnpike, uh, the interchange, right? So you're getting on, and I'm go, wanting to go south to Philly, was on the phone, not paying attention, got in the right-hand lane and found myself 100 yards down the road going, I'm going to Quakertown, what am I doing? Right? And as we know, it's not like the next mile. I mean, you've got to travel quite a bit to get to that next one, right? Repentance is that. It's getting to Quakertown and realizing I am moving in the wrong direction and I must literally pull a U-turn and now begin to head south. That's what repentance is. is. Is heading to Quakertown when you want to be heading to Philly. Repentance is a good thing to explore, especially during Lent. It's what, what, what Lent is about. But it's a difficult word in our culture, isn't it? Maybe we think when we hear the word repent... We think of those protesters who hold up signs saying, repent or burn. Uh, It may seem offensive, especially in our postmodern culture, right? Why is it that repentance is so offensive? Why is that? Why does it cause people to become so emotional? Because it involves admitting that we're doing something wrong, and it involves admitting that someone else is, is speaking truth. Something we don't like to do in our culture. So here's the deal. Just to oversimplify here. If someone told you to repent, you have two options. One, you do it. Number two, you then begin to believe, or you begin to believe the person who is asking you to repent is being arrogant, judgmental, and narrow-minded. That, that's the options you have when someone asks you to repent. There aren't any other options. So let me ask you this question here when we think about repentance. How might one know if someone is being truly repentant? Think about that. What signs might we come to expect if someone is repenting? Internally or even externally? What are some of those things? So think about that. File that away. Take a moment to think about what might be those physical signs when people are repentant. What does that look like? Okay? So now I want us to turn to Luke chapter 3. Okay? Luke chapter 3. We're going to look at a story, like I said, it's made me extremely uncomfortable in my preparation. It's not a passage that I've heard taught on before, actually. And it's a surprising response to repentance. It's about John the Baptist, all right? So as has, has been our tradition, our custom here, I want to encourage you, would you stand with us as we read this story in Luke 3? Luke 3, 1 to, 15, or 1 to 14. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, 
Herod, the Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, Tetrarch of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lassianus, Tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, A voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, and the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers! Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God will raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? The crowd asked. And John answered, Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked, and what should we do? And he replied, don't extort money and don't uh, accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. You may be seated. There's some very, very interesting things going on in this particular passage. So John the Baptist calls the crowd to repent. And he starts by quoting the prophet Isaiah. And he has this bold, he calls people to a bold reorientation of their lives. People have one of two options. Do it or think that John the Baptist is arrogant, narrow-minded, and judgmental. I mean, his sermon certainly wasn't kind and compassionate, wasn't it? Right? Insulting your audience by calling them a den of snakes isn't what they teach you about building trust with your audience in public speaking class in high school or college, is it? He says, you don't don't produce fruit? Watch out, you're going to be chopped down. Woo! All right. It's a little strong. But he boldly calls people to repentance. But I want to focus here actually on the response to what John's saying. And they say, now what? What do we do now? Which, by the way, any time that we have a, a teaching in whatever setting, that's always a great question to ask. Now what? What do I do now? What do I do with what I've just heard? And that's what they ask. What do we do with what we just heard? And John responds in three different ways, with three different types of expression. The first one is the crowd, like everybody, right? He says, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and everyone who has food should do the same. If you have two shirts, give one away to the one who doesn't have one. If you have food that other people uh, need that you have excess of, give it away. John says, be a pipe. Be a pipe. In and around Jerusalem in the first century, it was estimated that 90% of the people were extremely poor, as in living from hand to mouth, as in only had one tunic. 
the super rich had two tunics, which were normally long sleeve that you would wear at night when it got cool to stay warm at night. So if you had two tunics, you were in the upper echelon in Jerusalem. John says, you have two. You see someone who doesn't have a tunic who's getting cold at night. How do you repent? What's the fruit of repentance? You actually give your shirt away. When we produce fruit in keeping with repentance, when we have excess and there's need, our excess meets the need. That's John's response, number one, response number one to the crowd. And it actually reminds me, in 1 John, different John, 1 John 3.17, it says this, If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in them? Well, that's a damning rhetorical question. So the second group, the tax collectors, right? What do we do? What are, how are we supposed to respond? And he says, don't collect any more than you're required to collect. Now, again, a little bit of background here. When he says collect only the amount of money that's fair, tax collectors collected extra money from those they taxed. They were Jews working for the oppressive Roman Empire that was over Israel at the time. So when you're a tax collector, these are your people that you're going after, that you are in the name of the Roman Empire taking advantage of your own people. No wonder they're so hated. And this is what they'd say. You owe me 50%, give me 70%. And if you don't, I'm going back to the Roman officials and telling telling them you only gave me 30%. You're not left with many options because the Romans are going to trust the tax collector. Was it illegal to do that? Yeah, but it's hard to track. It's like white-collar crime. This is like the mafia, right? Is it illegal? Yes. Does it go on? Yes. Should it go on? No. They were crooked. And John the Baptist says this. He says, be an honest mafia member. Be honest with your money. And don't take more than you're supposed to take from people. Don't intimidate them. Don't blackmail them. And the third group of people then say, the soldiers say, well, what about us? What do we do? How are we supposed to respond to this message? He said, don't extort money. Don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. What does this one relate to as well? Money. Soldiers occasionally protested their wages, which caused a lot of disruption governmentally. And so they would extort money from local people to make up for their low pay. And they do it through intimidation and sometimes physical abuse and false accusations, similar to the tax collectors. They could just knock on a door and barge in and say, give me something to eat. I demand it now. And you had a choice. Do I do it or do I face the consequences of this soldier? And John the Baptist says, don't threaten people or force money out of people. Be honest and content with your salary. Now, here are a few things that I notice in this story. And we're going to spend some time. uh, I I want us to discuss this in just a few minutes all together as a community. But here's the first thing I notice: John doesn't give the same answer to all people, but all of his answer... All of his answers deal with the issue of money and repentance, money and repentance being connected. 
Think about that. What was your original answer of when people are repentant, what are the signs of that? Tears, I'm sorry, you know, making up. I mean, honestly, I think if we took a poll, few, if any of us would have said, oh, what we do with our money totally reveals our repentance. That's what John's saying. All of the actions of repentance are specifically related to how we handle our money and possessions. What you do with your stuff, what we do with our stuff matters deeply. If we believe that Jesus is who he says he is and we're repentant and reorienting our entire lives, what area of our lives will be most evident in revealing that stuff? John says how we use our money, what we do with our stuff. It's kind of startling, isn't it? The second thing I want us to focus on is what John the Baptist did not say. Notice what he didn't say. What should we do? How would you respond to that? He doesn't tell them, sell everything, quit your job as a tax collector and a soldier, because those are awful professions. Go move into a spiritual commune, train to be a pastor, then you can do really spiritual work. It's not what he said. He doesn't tell them to leave their very questionable positions, which would be alarming to people hearing this. Because some in the first century, there's a whole sect the zealots that actually believed that people who did these things, that God had given them the authority to kill them, to kill Roman soldiers in the name of Jesus. Do you believe that? It'd be like the Taliban today, the Al-Qaeda. They actually believed they were serving God by killing other people who were being oppressive. And John says, you don't even have to leave that profession. Just do your profession honestly in how you deal with your money. Whoa. Live holy lives in the mainstream of society. Honor God in your job, right where you are. Our jobs involve money, so handle that money with integrity. And that's how we know that we're authentic in our response to God's message. So think about this for us as a community. If we at Renew are the called out people of God who acknowledge that Jesus is Lord, who've repented and reoriented our lives and our values to that of Jesus, then what what John the Baptist says has implications for us in our response to God's message. This is a little bit startling for us as Americans. So when we take the message of Jesus seriously, it moves us to ask, what do we do? What is our response? What should we do now? It reminds me, in the first week of this series, I... Uh, quoted Martin Luther, and here's the, the quote again. There are three conversions necessary. A conversion of the heart, a conversion of the head, and a conversion of the wallet. No wonder Jesus says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Repentance, John says, is directly related to what we do with our money. But also... And this is an important thing for us to grasp. How we handle our money is not just between me and God. How we handle our money will help the cause of justice or it will hinder it. Ever thought about your wallet, your bank account, your checkbook and issues of justice today? It doesn't, money, your money doesn't just impact you. It actually impacts other people for good or for harm. 
That includes the relationship you have with your neighbors, even our global neighbors. Okay? So with that, I want you to turn a little bit to the right in your Bible to Luke 19. A somewhat, if not very familiar passage that oftentimes we may have not seen it through this angle or this lens before. This is the story of another tax collector who handled his money in a way that was actually unjust and actually then used it uh, for issues of justice. Okay, and you can stay seated for this, but I'm going to read the first ten verses here. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. The man was there by the name of Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Of course he was, because he ripped everyone off. And he wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short and could not see over the crowd, uh, so he ran ahead and climbed the sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Let me pause there. You, as a good Jew, would have had the same thought. Because to eat with someone was to accept their way of life. To accept them for who they are. It wasn't just sharing a burger and fries together. It meant something. Symbolically, relationally, we're together. So they began to mutter. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is the son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. Now again, tax collectors, they're shysters, crooks, mafia members. (laughs) Incredibly ironic because the name Zacchaeus means pure. Every Jew that would have heard it would be like, are you serious? Really? His name means pure? And of course, the people began to mutter. And he said, look, Lord, Here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody, if, really, if I've cheated anybody, I'll give it all back up to four times. I won't just return what's theirs. I will give them four times what's theirs. And Jesus says something that messes with me even more. He doesn't say, great, you're off to a good start. Just say the sinner's prayer and then we'll have salvation. Enter this home today. He says, salvation is here. Whoa. That isn't the BBS story I was taught growing up. He gave away and returned a lot of money. But maybe Jesus knew that how we handle our money actually reveals our heart. It reminds me of the quote that I shared earlier in the series from Tim Keller. And this one continues to wreck me. Money flows effortlessly to that which is its God. So that day, whatever Zacchaeus experienced, it was an effortless flow in the direction of justice and wanting to do the right thing in the name of God. 
And I think Jesus knew well enough to say, that pipe is flowing nice and good in the direction of God. Salvation is here. How we handle our money reveals in a clear and stark way the object of our deepest trust and affection. Our deepest trust and affection is revealed in how effortlessly our money flows. So let me, I know this is heavy stuff. I know it's been kind of a heavy morning. (laughs) But let me pause there because I do want us to spend a few minutes talking about it together because this is important for us to discuss. So let me ask a few questions, and I want us to interact out loud, so just make sure you're loud enough that we all can hear. First question I want us to think through, what sticks out to you in these passages, either in the Luke 3, John the Baptist passage, or in the Luke Luke 19 passage with Zacchaeus? Is there something that stuck out to you that hasn't stuck out to you in in these passages that you might have read before, or maybe you've heard for the first time? What sticks out to you? Um, tax collectors were well aware <laughs> that what they were doing wasn't right. So I don't think they needed people to go through. They knew it was illegal. They knew they were doing it. Like the mafia knows what they're doing is wrong. So I think there's a sense of being very aware that what he was doing wasn't good. I find it interesting. Zacchaeus, you know, Jesus seeks him out, right? Everybody's looking to Zacchaeus. I mean, sorry, everybody's looking to Jesus. But Jesus is looking at Zacchaeus. Right? Now, when they say he's a short man, like, we can be fairly confident in assuming we're not talking about some, like, a guy who's 5'7. Okay? This is probably, like, a midget, like, a little person. And there's, like, significant evidence, right? When you see a little person, I've had friends and family members who are little people, um, that's the first thing you notice, right? Do you know Julie? You know, oh, she's the little person. Oh, yeah, I know her, right? It's the detail that you're going to record first, right? And so we actually, no wonder Zacchaeus climbed a tree if, in fact, he really was a midget, a little person. And uh, so that's another important detail, I think, that the effort that Zacchaeus wanted to take to see Jesus, even though he knew Jesus was a Jewish religious leader, that somehow he still wanted to see him, even though he knew what he was doing was totally wrong. I wonder if... When Jesus stops and looks up at the tree, if he's like, oh, no. Nailed. Right? Like, wouldn't there be a little bit of fear, right? When, when you're doing something you shouldn't and someone walks in and sees you, you're like, oh. Right? I wonder if that's what Zacchaeus felt. I don't know. But what, what else sticks out to you in this story? Yes, April. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, right. And that's what baptism is, right? It's a symbolic act of what's actually happening to us on a spiritual level, right? It's not actually the water, you know, and getting all soaking wet, but yeah. And that's, 
You know, that's, that's what repentance is, is this, this bold reorientation of our lives of admitting, I'm not doing this right. I've got to totally redirect where I'm at. Yeah, that's a great line. The message is good for those sorts of things. Yeah, Dave. Again, it goes back to like, I can say one thing, but how I deal with my money will actually reveal whether I'm being truthful with what I'm saying, right? And you're right, that pipe is directly pointed in the direction of justice. Yeah, 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 Michael. Yeah, great point. Yeah. So the Pharisees would be furious at the tax collectors because the Pharisees' goal is religious purity, exclusion, right? The zealots would be furious that Roman soldiers are around, right? Because you're now supporting the oppressive, unjust government that I feel God has called me to murder you. Yeah. I mean, by the way, by the way, speaking of zealots, there was one zealot who was actually very close to Jesus' ministry. Who was it? Who was it? Who was it? Simon the Zealot was a disciple of Jesus. You also have a tax collector. Think of the tension that would happen among your own disciples to have somebody who feels like anyone who oppresses Jewish people in the name of the Roman government should be murdered along with someone that is the target of that in your same discipleship cohort. It's for another time, but I have chills right now thinking about that. That's how radical God's message through Jesus is. That if God can take people on opposite ends of the spectrum like that and bring them together in the same cohort to change the world, holy smokes... Wow. That wasn't anything to what you related to. Sorry, Michael. I just, I'm blown away by that. Okay? Next, next slide here. What are you hearing from the Spirit this morning? What are you hearing from the Spirit this morning? Maybe another way to say this. Next slide, Denise. What should you do then? Or what should we do then? Good. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, Liam. 
And I think that it's easy for us as a community to sit in this room and be in one accord and feel good about the fact that there are both philosophical similarities in the way that we treat justice. Mm -hmm. And sort of be on board and in agreement that there are things that we should do together. We're all on the same side. But I don't think God's interested in lip service, and I don't think he's interested in us just being in agreement. Hmm. We're not just supposed to change our minds. We're supposed to produce fruit in keeping with the things. And I'm not saying that as a community we're not already producing fruit. I just think that if any of us are honest with ourselves, we know for a fact that there's a way that can be done to advance the cause of justice, and I think we can do that together. Hmm. Yeah, Johnny. So I guess one thing that I've been struggling with for the last three years is we read passages from the lives of John the Baptist here and even Jesus in the very extreme. And then we read it and we kind of tame it down, right? Like we're like, oh, well, this means be generous overall. It doesn't mean like you have to sell your house or things like that. And I guess I just kind of wrestle with it. We're just kind of perpetuating the wussification of the gospel. You know what I mean? Like, my question is, is like, what if this, what if we did take this seriously, you know? Like, what if some people did go to crazy extremes? You know, would we, the, would we be the community that's like, no, God doesn't want you to be like that crazy. Just look for other things, you know? Like, serve a man on a baby once a month. I'm like, that's generous. You know what I mean? Like, huh. I just, I just wonder, I don't know, what's extreme and like, mm. what's just gospel living? Huh. Perpetuating the wussification of the gospel. Like, what a great line, huh? <laughs> yes, Megan. I know what's in my heart, but I wonder if I wanted to like my bank statements and my credit card statements and answer them with somebody and said, Could you tell me what my priorities are? Yeah. They would tell me the story of Woo! You talk about radical. Hand your bank statements, your giving statements, your credit card statements, your check, your checkbook stubs. Hand them to somebody and say, just tell me what you think about the state of my heart. That's radical. That's radical. I wonder how many of us would be embarrassed about that or how many of us would be like, sure, go ahead. Here, take a look. I'd love for you to. Not to brag. Yeah, I got nothing to hide. Go for it. Something to think about. Maybe one or two more. Anybody else? Yeah, Kathy. Along with what John said, Mm -hmm. for Zacchaeus, he said, I'm going to give half of all my possessions and four times the amount that I stole. So, I mean, that kind of scared me. Wow, that's that's really radical. How would he even be able to do that? Obviously, he must have on the side and whatnot, but... Pretty wealthy guy, yeah. Yeah. And it was interesting that he put them in that order. Mm. Yeah. First of all, I'm going to give half my possessions to the poor. Yeah. And then second of all... Yeah. And I'll put it in the going further this week, because I don't have it off the top of my head, but I'm going to look into this more. um, Zacchaeus is actually referring to something that's commanded in Leviticus. Because what's commanded in Leviticus is that when you do wrong to someone, I think you give back two or three times. So what Zacchaeus is saying is, whatever the requirement is, I'm going more than that. I'm going above and beyond. And all the Jewish hearers would have known that. Wait, 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 wait. If he's done something wrong, he only has to pay back a portion of that. He doesn't have to pay back all that. He's 
going in the extra mile here. So let me find that Leviticus reference because it's it's an important one. So yeah, Denise, we'll end with Denise here. The immediate response, yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's easy to say, oh, just think about it. Oh, let me pray about it. I'll get back to you. <laughs> right? That immediate response, yeah. They're standing up at the house. In front of everybody, yeah, for sure. Um, I want to mention just something because this is the last of of our series on money. But there are so many more questions many of you have had, like, what do I do with giving, or what about savings, or you know, debt, you know, some of those things, which are very significant things. And actually, yeah, I, Denise, go ahead and put up the first announcement slide there. I wanted to let you know about this. This was not planned. Some of you know my dad and, and my parents when they come through regularly. And my dad, actually, uh, his job is to work at a church in Phoenix as the stewardship director. That's not the the, the CEO, CFO of, the, of a church. He's helping teach people about big uh, concepts of how our money and our finances uh, relate to our souls, but also some of the specifics about budgeting, saving, um, debt, you know, those, those sorts of things. And um, he actually has been asked by uh, the, the, a church uh, down in the city, in Chinatown, the Chinese Christian Church and Center, the pastor, Lawrence Tom, LT, is a good friend of mine. And I said, LT, you're, you're bringing in my dad. We're just doing a series on finances. I anticipate there are some people within our church that might want to go further because it stoked something in them uh, here to actually spend a day with you and your church. So other churches have been invited to this. Uh, it's $20, lunch is included. And what we'll probably do is actually leave from the Boys and Girls Club together and caravan down. But if you're interested in this, would you email Erin? Uh, her email address is right here. And please, if $20 is going to keep you from going, come talk to me, okay? okay? And, and I really believe if you don't think this is worth your time, <laughs> I'll consider refunding your money. I mean, I, I know he's my dad. So I'm going to just put it all on the line and tell you that if you... Th- I'll give back four times anybody that I've wronged. Um, but it's super practical, uh, relational, spiritual, and I just really want to encourage you to be a part of this 10 to 3. It's a fun day down in the city. It's right in Chinatown. Um, and so we'll carpool down. It can be a fun day to do that. But if you're saying, man, I want to know more. It's just open up a can of worms, and I don't even know how to explore all these together. This is a great chance to do that and ask questions, too. It's built in throughout the day. So I'll be down there. I think my dad wants me to actually have a portion of that uh, teaching. I mean, 95% of it's going to be him. Um, but that would be a great, I'd love to 
to see people come with me uh, down to this. Uh, and so uh, Saturday, April 26th, just let Aaron know so we know in terms of carpooling uh, and, and doing that. So should be a lot of fun uh, on that. Um, but that's, that's an announcement, but it totally relates to what we're doing here because we can't possibly address everything that relates to money uh, here within this series. So, um, so let, me, let me end where we began, and it's this. For God so loved the world that he gave. God so loved the world that he gave. And it seems that the story of John the Baptist and the story with Zacchaeus, that the only viable response to such a loving and generous God is to live similarly as generous, faithful, and compassionate people to one another with our entire lives. So handling our money with integrity is evidence that we're authentic in our response to God's message. It is the fruit or the evidence of our repentance when that happens. Here's what I'd like for us to do. Seeing that John's audience said, what shall we do then? We've talked about what shall we do or what shall I do or what shall you do, which has been good. I want to end by us having time to hear from the Lord and for the Lord to hear from us. And regardless of where you're at in your journey uh, with Jesus, I, I just I really want to encourage you in this time because God really um, can speak to any one of us, regardless of where we're at. And maybe it's not issues of money. Maybe there are other issues of repentance that the Lord wants to address. And that's what we do. When we come to the table, we actually are admitting... I am going to Quakertown spiritually, God, and I need to pull a U-turn and turn south on the turnpike towards the Philadelphia of your love. That's what we're saying. This is a U-turn at the table. And if there's a willingness for a U-turn, God says, come, meet me here, meet me here. And we'll do that after intermission. But I want to allow some space for us just to listen. If that, need, if that means repentance, um, I want us to allow that space for that to occur. So I'm going to encourage you to put your body in a posture that's open to hearing from God. That's a posture of humility. If that means sitting in your chair or if that means standing up or kneeling or opening your hands up or grabbing the hand of the person next to you, whatever it may be, I want to encourage you to get in a physical posture of what you hope the posture of your soul should be as we think about this idea of pulling a U-turn. So let's listen here for the next few minutes.
God, I have no doubt that you've spoken to some of us here this morning. And just as, as, <coughs> just as Denise said, we have an opportunity to delay it or to respond immediately. And just as we drive everything we do here in our church around the two questions, what are you hearing from Jesus and what are you going to do about it? Lord, we've heard from you. Now the question is, what will we do about it? Will we continue to drive to Quakertown or will we drive to Philadelphia? Lord, we want to be pipes with our whole lives. We want to be pipes that are angled and bent in the direction of justice because we know that's your heart. You made that very clear. And so, Lord, whether it's our physical money or whether it's our resources, our time, um, just the fact that we live in America in this time that we do, would you show us those areas? And we give you permission, God, to bend our pipes, even if you have to rebuild some of those pipes, to flow in the direction of justice. We want to be people that honor you. And I pray that we would repent as a church, a capital C, and also maybe here at Renew, in the perpetuation of the wussification of the gospel. We want to be radical people. We want to be people that are willing to say, I'm going to trust you anyway, even though it doesn't make sense to give. I still want to honor you, God. So show us what that looks like, God. Show us how we do that. May no one in this room feel like that's manipulation or guilt-tripping, but simply a radical call to the high cost of discipleship. We really do want to honor you. And if Zacchaeus... This crooked shyster of the Jewish mafia of the first century can have such honoring words said to him by the Savior of the world, then maybe we can too. Maybe we can operate in such a way that honors you, not out of legalism, not out of show, but out of a way that says, God, I'm all yours because for God so loved the world that he gave. It's with that that we pray. Amen.